So Jesus changes water into wine. Do you want to know where it's from? John 2, verse 1 to 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 80 to 120 litres. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realise where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Unfortunately, there was a microphone issue in Mark's talk this week. So we're meeting him a couple of minutes into what he's got to say. Apologies about that. It's a place where... They don't cause any disputes whatsoever. You know, well, we've not invited Auntie Nelly and Cousin Fred. Well, I'm not coming then. If they can't come, I'm not coming. There's always something. Um, I can remember back uh, a few years now, um, a guy and his daughter coming out of a house on a terraced street in Wortley and getting in this nice limousine with the top down and uh, in they got comfortable and off they went they get to the end of the road when the bride screams i forgot my bouquet and so then you've got some fat older guy running up morley street and then back down with his bunch of flowers don't drop them whatever you do thankfully that was the only thing that <laughs> went wrong on that day but weddings are occasions aren't they where you don't want anything to go wrong. Major or minor, it doesn't matter. We want the occasion not to be spoiled. And that's what's seen in our reading today, that it looks as though the wedding's going to be spoiled because the wine's running out. At this point, it's disaster in that kind of um, setting and at that time that the wine should run out I mean everybody knew that you served the good wine first and then moved on to the, to the cheaper stuff but here it was total disaster because it looked as though it was going to run out and the, the level of disgrace for the family of the bride and groom would have been uh, just horrendous 
And it's this point where, G, where Mary turns to Jesus. Now, we don't know exactly what kind of relationship Mary and Jesus and probably the five disciples that are there at that time have got to be at the wedding anyway. But obviously there was some connection and uh, um, Mary must have been regarded as someone you could turn to. Every family has that person you can turn to, isn't there? You, you know, that person you can turn to and say, can you sort this out? Or I'll ring our so-and-so. They'll know what to do. And obviously somebody said to, uh, to uh, uh, Mary, wine's running out. You know, it's, it's going to be a disaster. And Mary says to Jesus, they've no wine. It's running out. And Jesus replies, woman, what does this have to do with me? Woman, what's this got to do with me? I'm here as a guest. I'm enjoying myself. I'm talking to my friends, to my new followers. My hour has not yet come. It's not the time for me to act. Now, it makes me wonder why Jesus said that. Because he's obviously not speaking about the time when he's going to be crucified. So what does he mean? My time has not yet come. And it suddenly struck me that in these words, Jesus is relating to you and me perhaps more than at any other time. In his humanity... He knows that he has got to rely on God, his Father, to turn the water into wine or to act in whatever way he's been called to do. Jesus there is in his full humanity, knowing himself that without God, he can't do anything. And it's here, I believe, at this very point, at the end of what Mary said, and Jesus saying these words, where God has said, okay, the tapes are up. Get the motorbike going. Get going round the track. Full speed ahead. This is where we start. This is where it begins. At this little place, this wedding, this is where you start what you've really been called to do. The whole meaning of the story shifts from fully human to God becoming involved, to God taking his place, his rightful place. It's not Mary or her instructions that should take center stage here. If you go back to Samuel last week, Samuel listened and then acted. I believe that at this point, Jesus was listening, waiting for God to speak before he acted. And this first miracle is recorded as Jesus tells the servants to fill the jars with water. And when they pour the uh, uh, contents out, they find the water has been turned into the very best wine. 
Now, as you might know, I'm probably not the best person to speak as a wine connoisseur. So if I put it in my language and go back to a time when we had proper beer and proper breweries in Sheffield, I would say it was like water compared with wards or stones, which sadly you can't get these days, not in its original form. But it was the very best. There was no best messing about with anything in the middle. What was poured out, the very best. And it wasn't just poured out from clean jars, necessarily. It was the ceremonial washing jars. So could it have been the jars whereas people had entered for the, for the wedding, for the reception, they'd had the feet washed? You know, not just clean jars, but filthy jars could have been the ones used there. Here we are now, in 2024, and this same Jesus still dominates the centre of the world, whether you believe him or not, just as he dominated in that moment, that wedding, that reception in Canaan. Whether you believe in him or not, that is a fact. That is the truth. Last week, Nick said that uh, we should listen to hear God, to hear Jesus. We should take time to hear from God, and that is very true. But is that just the beginning? And in this, we need to be careful that we don't fall into the trap that Mary, the mother of Jesus, did. Because there are times when we don't just ask Jesus, don't just pray to God, don't come in humility, we demand. We demand. And yet, who are we to demand things of God? Jesus told his time wasn't to come. My timing is what matters, not you want what you want. You don't come to Christ and demand. We have to start by having the realisation that it's his sovereignty that will do that will uh, do whatever we're asking. It's his sovereignty, not our uh, demands, not what we want. You don't demand, you don't insist. What you do is to humble yourself as you come to Christ. You admit that he is in charge. You see, everything is dependent on the grace of God. We can earn nothing. We know that. We say it every other week. But do we really take it in? Do we really, really believe that or think that our power is enough to do anything? As we demand from Christ, really, it's a denial of his authority and we're taking something away. And when you take something away, you lose something. And in our lives, so often, we make demands or make our own assumptions and we lose something of the glory and the wonder of God that he wants us to have. Remember, we're nothing more than beggars. In truth, we're beggars. Everything comes from his grace. After this uh, little telling off that Jesus made, 
Mary says to the servants, do what he tells you to do. And as Nick spoke last week about listening for and to God, we need to do that in humility, yes. Recognizing the authority of Jesus, yes. Mary told the servants, do what he tells you to do. And in our lives, if we're really listening, really hearing from Jesus, do we then do what he tells us to do? Oh, we can be so stubborn, can't we? We can be so stubborn. I've not been a Christian very long, um, perhaps two, three years, and um, I was told by so many people to go and get trained for this. Now, look, God's given you this gift, and I just laughed. I just laughed. And it was another 15, 20 years before I realized they were right, they'd been listening, and I hadn't. And I'm so, so pleased that eventually I heard and I acted. But often I mourn what I probably missed in that 15 or 20 years. I'm not having a go at anybody here, but perhaps you would like to look back in your Christian walk this morning and think, oh, if only I'd. If only I'd acted on that. If only I'd given that other word. If only I'd taken that one step further. I wonder, where would I be now? What could I have seen? What would I have seen? Mary told the servants, do what he tells you. It's the attitude that we should have. Have. An attitude of obedience. There are two dangers in the Christian life. One is taking the credit for the work of Jesus. And the other one is sitting back and doing nothing. The right approach is that, is that we act under his control. We listen to him and we do his will. It's easy as a Christian to forget that we're still human and that we're completely reliant on God. But it must be his activity through us. Listen and obey. His timing is all important. Kath can vouch for this better than anybody else for the number of years when I was in roofing. Um, and there were times when there was like a, a middle period where you feel you're probably not doing anything in church or you've been doing something for years and it's time to move on, but there's no clear um, uh, pathway in front. And I'm screaming at God, come on, take me out of this job. I mean, I'm climbing ladders. I'm getting older. I'm in my 50s. I'm climbing ladders and flipping, carrying lumps of lead on my shoulder. And I've got slates and I've got these numbskull kids from flipping... Um, a job creation scheme, one threatening us, 
with, with the axe on the roof, which we gently took off him and sent him home. I'm screaming, come on, God, I've, you've got to use me for more than this. Come on, I've, how many years have I got left? And there came a point where I had to recognize, and this is a bit of bragging here. I'm going to brag. I don't brag, do I, Kath? No. But there came a point where I was working on Eckington Church. It had to be a church. And I got talking to the architect who was in, in charge of the job. And he says, well, you know why your firm's doing this job, don't you? And I said, no. He said, well, he said, they weren't the lowest tender. He says, they're doing it because you are the only person in South Yorkshire at the minute who can do this lead work. Oh, that's a bit good, isn't it? Eh? The architects are giving us work. Did it get me a wage rise? No, it didn't. But it made me more content. It showed me that even if it was a job I didn't like, or I was getting fed up of, and it was getting harder to do, I was getting some recognition for it. And so I kind of realised this was important. And it made me more settled in the job. And when I became settled, and when I accepted it, and when I said, OK, God, if this is where I'm supposed to be, then I'm here, that's when he came up with another job. Related to what I'd done, but he took me out of that walking up ladders every day into more of a, a desk and manual job. And in, clearly in his service, as I first went up to the Oaks, that was a good trick they had. They, they interview you at the Oaks for two hours. Do you want this job? Yeah. And when you say yes at the end, they say, by the way, there's no wages. <laughs> you find your own money. <laughs> Great Christian way, isn't it? That, that uh, we all know. Um, and that was brilliant. And then that took me on to a job that I absolutely loved. I would have done it for nothing, uh, working for a church. You see, God did sort it. But not until I was content where he put me in that place did he move me on to a place where I could really be content and, and really get on with it. He sorted it and gave me the best job I could have wished for. In this story, no matter what your position, kind of whether it be the host of the feast who's kind of giving the orders, whether it's the bride and groom, we don't know their names, whether it's the families, we are nothing of them. Whatever your position in this story, do you know the one I think is the best? The guys who poured the water. Can you imagine? These are the servants. These are the lowest of the low. These are the servants wandering about. They've probably been washing people's feet. And yet 2,000 years later, we're still talking about them. Because they did what they were told. I wonder if there's anybody in here who, in 2,000 years, or even in, I don't know, 200 years, will be mentioned because they did as Jesus told them.
That's a bit of a challenge, isn't it? For us to think about. We do as they did. They poured in water and changed, saw the change into the very best wine. It doesn't matter what they thought when they poured the water. All that mattered was that they obeyed and acted on the instructions they had to the letter. Reading our Bible, praying, fellowship, obeying him every day are just some of the details we need to follow. The filling of the water pots represents going beyond just obedience. It goes to stepping out in faith. We must believe, each and every one of us, in the possibilities of the Christian life. Why? Because God promised them. He made the promise of a better life, of a more fulfilling life. Not an easier life, not a life of riches and, and, and great wine all the time, but a better life, a better life. And as we look round at our world, and as Suzanne spoken um, this morning about just the little drops, you see them on wing gardens. And one of the, for me, one of the, the, the big um, pluses for wing gardens is that quite often... <coughs> Excuse me, we'll, we'll have visitors on a Thursday who come either from other food banks or recently we've had people who um, just work on the phone lines um, taking the calls from people who need food or this, that and the other. We, we've had them visiting, having a look at what we do. Now, I'm in the fortunate position that, you know, I'm connect, uh, based, let's say, at Wing Gardens, but I'm also connected to uh, Philadelphia, S6, a couple of times a week and, and Firth Park. And so I see these people at the other food banks and every one of them says to me, says to me, <laughs> which won't surprise you, Wing Gardens is mad. It's mad and it's brilliant because people come not knowing what to expect at the first time and they'll go away having had a cup of coffee, getting the food, but they've got a smile on their face and they realise that they matter. Perhaps for the first time in many years, they matter. And that is because people have heard a call, sometimes not wanting to, to a place that is seen as not very welcoming and served for years and built and served and built and people at St. John's have supported, etc. And it's grown and grown. And you, as, as um, Sue said, you know Jesus is there. And that is what people say when they say, it's mad. It's mad. People laugh, people smile, people help. Is it any mistake that the first act of ministry of Jesus, public act of ministry, was at a party? He wants us to have a life of a party to celebrate, to live. And for those guys pouring that water, it didn't matter what they thought, they did it. And for us as Christians today, many time with, times 
As has happened in the past, we're laughed at, we're pointed at. Our kids in school might be called God Squad or whatever, but we know that we're on the right road. And that eventually people do recognise that Christ is in us. Pouring out that, uh, that wine was an act of faith. When God speaks, it even seems impossible. He will provide the power. Trusting and obeying, God is the only way to be happy. Life is the only way to be happy through Jesus. If today, for the first time, you're recognizing the authority of God, then it's time to listen. It's time to listen maybe to that small voice in your heart. Or maybe it's something that's been screaming at you for years and you just pass it. The next step is to believe that is speaking actually to you because you will say, I can't do that. Well, no, you can't, but God can through you. That's why you're here. It's no mistake that we're here this morning in this time, in, in this year, in this hour, because God has ordained it that we would be here. Looking as daft as we do, singing songs that make no sense to a lot of people. But we are here because God ordained it. And when you've listened and you've believed, then you act. It may be the first instance speaking to someone else about Jesus people you know and can trust. Speak to them. Share what you believe God is saying to you for confirmation. Remember, the worst thing that any of us can do is to ignore him because we'll end up drinking water and never tasting the wine. Listen, believe, act and then see the glory of God worked out let's pray Heavenly Father we thank you that you just want us to have and to know the very best and to be shining lights in this gloomy world for you will you help us to listen give us the courage to believe and then the ability to act. Amen.